Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. And I'm Nadia Sampson. Hey, Nad. Hey, Meg. Yeah, we're back, guys. Uh, Today, um, we're in episode two of our two-part series, right, around de-escalation. So last time, we talked to uh, Kathleen, Dr. Kathleen Strickland-Cohen, and her colleague, colleague Alex Newsom. Yes. And uh, the two of them are co-authors on a brief um, that the Center on PBIS just put out around de-escalation strategies. And so we, when we talked with them, we talked with them about those prevention strategies, the foundational supports that you can put into place school-wide to hopefully restore some calm to your classrooms before anything escalates in the first place. So today, we're lucky enough to talk to two more of the authors on that brief, Brian Meyer and Amy Flamini from Midwest PBIS. We think that you are going to find the strategies that uh, Brian and Amy and Kathleen talked to us about in this session were phenomenal. We think you're going to find them incredibly practical. Yes. And um, Brian hit us in particular with um, several practical strategies, one of which um, I'll call the three tries. Yeah, right. And it's really about a decision rule that helps us as educators figure out when is a student escalated to a point where teaching and learning are really not an option and, and we need to actually um, go to a different approach. Right. And then Amy was always right there backing him up and reminding us about our adult behaviors and the things that we do that might accidentally contribute to those behaviors escalating in the first place. And she was always there to encourage us to find ways to implement these practices school-wide and have a systematic approach to de-escalation in the building. So I don't know, guys. I, I know that sometimes, sometimes you listen to us on a run, maybe while you're cleaning the house. And I think that's great. And you can do that this time. I also think that you're really going to want to pull up a chair, grab a notepad, something to write with, And you're really going to want to sit down and document and write down all of these strategies that they're about to share with you, because there's so much packed into this episode. We think you're really going to find it all useful in your classroom. You're going to want to get comfy. (laughs) Okay, Brian, Amy, Kathleen, we're so happy that you guys could join us today. Thanks for taking the time. Ah, Thanks for having us. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, cool. So we're, this is the second part of our series around de-escalation. We were talking with um, Kathleen and Alex, Alex um, last episode about some of those prevention strategies, the things that you want to put in place um, to teach all of your students um, as a way to Um, as just part of this overall um, cycle of de-escalation. So today, though, we're going to start to talk a little bit more around what happens when behaviors start to escalate. They start to get Mm -hmm. a little bit more agitated and a little more intense. Um, And what are the ways that we can intervene at different places along that cycle? So I guess we wanted to just start with how does behavior escalate in the first place? Like what happens? Well, you know, one of the, one of the main ways that behavior gets escalated, uh, one of the main ways, in my opinion, that it gets escalated is that, um, you know, you could experience trauma are often uh, kind of, they function on high alert. Their system is always on high alert, uh, kind of looking for what the next dangerous situation is. And it's 
hard to see what that is. And, and that's an easy spot for youth to escalate or adults to escalate as well. Um, and then I, I would also throw in, so I think that's super hard to determine for people when you can't see it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would also determine, or I would also say that, um, you know, teacher, educator state of mind makes a really big difference in terms of whether or not a situation continues to escalate. Or I think that uh, how a teacher, the teacher's mood or a teacher's kind of uh, ability to self-reflect on their own uh, emotions makes a really big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in my mind, I'm thinking about um, this idea of regulation or, or being dysregulated. Um, and I think that as, as adults in those situations, we think about um, does a student have capacity at this moment to stop the behavior if we want them to stop it or, or to start the behavior I'm looking for? Um, and I think we'll get into that in a little bit here, maybe some of the yeah. some additional questions. Um, but I, I just like to think about it in terms of the some of those core basic functions we think about. Are they looking for peer attention? Mm -hmm. Is there a need that they're trying to get met? Are they trying to escape the situation? Um, whether it's, you know, because of a pressure or anxiety. Um, and so I've seen I've seen all all of those. And if we just think about it in terms of function, I think then that also helps us decide what are the appropriate teaching practices that can be the most effective in that situation. Definitely. Can you define uh, dysregulation for us? <laughs> no one can see Brian pointing at me right now. Uh, so <laughs> I think I would. I don't. I don't have a formal definition. In That's okay. Yeah, just the very informal. Um, when you are not in control of your emotions, when you are, um, I think when you're not in control of yeah. your emotions, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, know, <laughs> you know, a, uh, a follow-up to that is, um, for teachers and for, when you think about this work from, a a systems perspective, it's helpful to give your teachers a tool where they can that I'm going to assume that the student is dysregulated because if a student's dysregulated you need to adjust how you're addressing their behavior you, you layering on consequences is is not going to help if a student is dysregulated from it we're, we're we're past reason so the example um, from a, a school that I worked at was if a student was unable to follow an instruction uh, after three tries and it's a, it was a very simple decision rule. Doesn't apply to, didn't work in all scenarios, but it allowed the staff to be able to say, well, I've tried three things in a row. Those haven't worked. I'm gonna presume the student is dysregulated because now I'm not gonna keep trying to give instructions. I'm not gonna engage in that same teaching strategy. I'm gonna have to adjust my approach and help them regulate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, less personal, right? When when educators can understand that dysregulation doesn't really have much to do with the adult, right? It it um, it has a lot to do with uh, a, a student's experience. And if we approach all, if we approached everyone in the world like when they were acting out that they were dysregulated, no one would be taking behavior personally. Mm -hmm. And behavior is not personal, really, for the most part, right? I mean. Sometimes there's that function of trying to get adult attention, and that that's a little bit personal, but not not really. Um, 
So I think that it's really important that people understand kind of what Brian was saying, which is if you try to talk to a student when they're dysregulated, you really are potentially making it much worse. Right. So we were talking, um, Nad and I, we were talking about this a little bit, about the ways that we personally have probably contributed to someone becoming more dysregulated, you know, based on our own personal feelings around someone's behavior. So we were thinking about yeah. like um, how we as adults can sometimes take a relatively calm situation where no one is escalated and actually contribute to triggering that escalated mm -hmm. response. So we were thinking of something like if we were in a classroom, let's say, and a student um, we're trying to we're trying to get through a lesson and we notice some students talking to each other. They're not being overly disruptive to the rest of the class, but they're being disruptive to me because all mm -hmm. I can do is focus on the fact that they're not listening. And so I'm having a hard time getting getting through my lesson and what I'm doing. So in that moment, I feel like it's sort of this critical juncture where like you could potentially do something that turns a situation into a personal one and escalates everything. So what we were curious about is like, let's start with that first path, right? In what ways can our, could our response actually contribute to kicking off an escalated response? Uh, well, I think that um, we can contribute to how, whether or not the student escalates, just based on how we start to interact with them, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, do we have a relationship with them? Uh, yeah, Second right. of all, um, uh, I, I was thinking about this earlier and uh, in marriage research from the Gottman Institute, there's this idea of called a soft start when you're gonna talk with your partner in couples counseling, it's a soft start. And I was thinking about it this way today that, you know, as an adult, are we doing a soft start with a student, like walking over and saying, hey, you know, is there something I can do to help out? Or, you know, like interacting with them, like it's not personal. Yeah. Is probably going to at least neutralize, right? It's not going to make yeah. it work. But if we interact like it's personal and we say something from across the room and we say like, hey, I already told you hey. Yelling, hey, yeah. hey, I'm teaching up here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Then I think, you know, we have, we have a lot of power in those moments. And I think that we generally um, have not, I don't think historically we've been good as grownups in education doing a lot of self-reflection on yeah. how our moods and our mindset and our behavior really does impact whether or not this escalates. So not only the prevention piece, like having all those solid classroom management practices in place, mm -hmm. but our, our, our interaction makes a really big difference. And I think we have to take a big piece of responsibility in reflecting on that. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to add that I love, the reason I love this example is because really when you're saying, what can we do to prevent escalation? I almost see this more as what you're asking is, um, in this particular example is what do we do to prevent the adult from escalating? <laughs> yes. You know, like from the adult from allowing their own response to being annoyed and or yes. frustrated with, with this situation yeah. um, from making the situation much worse. Yeah, because if you think would, about it, yeah, like I, as the teacher, am feeling escalated. I'm getting agitated. I'm feeling these feelings, and it's the it's behavior that I notice that's contributing to the to those feelings that I have. But I then have the ability to either like 
reflect, like you were saying, Amy, reflect on how I'm feeling in that moment and be like, I need to, I need to try this strategy instead with this student in order to neutralize. I like that, um, that word that you used, or I just like lean into that agitation and I just, I send it to the moon, you know? I, it reminds me too of parenting is if you have a second parent at home, you're able to kind of tag team or even to, <laughs> to look at, look at your partner and say, okay, you're going all escalated here. That's you are, right. you are dysregulated. How about I step, you know, you're able to kind of tag team that and decide I'm going to step in or take a minute and, um, you know, almost coach your partner. If you you're going into this with a very different, um, frame of mind that, um, it's probably going to escalate. So let's talk about that before you call our daughter and yeah, <laughs> tell her all the things she's doing wrong. You know, Brian, Brian and I talk about some of this, um, when we t- talk about de-escalation, the need to systematize how we're going to respond, to make it safe for each other, for, to make it safe for me as an educator to say, Hey, I need someone to come give me 30 seconds. I need someone to cover for mm-hmm. 30 seconds so I can get myself centered again. Um, or in one, you know, in the alternative school I worked, we had, we were a pretty close knit group and it was a safe place. And we were able to say, we had a code, which was, hey, you have a phone call in the office, which was code for, you are about to lose your mind. You go out of here. And yeah. uh, it was really helpful, but it, I mean, it has to feel safe and it had to be systematized. It couldn't just be some people doing that. Yes. I've worked in some schools where there's a buddy classroom and it's actually, if the teacher can't remove themselves, is there a way for a student to, the unfortunate part, it is a little bit exclusionary, but have them go and continue their work somewhere else just briefly until, you know, you can begin to regulate yourself Mm -hmm. as the adult. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard, um, intersection, right? Because I've really seen that abused and I've seen yes. African-American boys yeah. really over-identified yes. and how much instruction is being missed and agreed and and it's hard to say out loud but we're paid to be regulated mm, true Good we're, not only are we paid to be regulated but we're also paid to like recognize that we're all human and this feels personal yeah so it's I think it's self-reflection and self-compassion mm-hmm. I think it's both yeah yeah for us as adults Good. Brian what are you thinking I, li- I like listening to you talking. <laughs> you don't, no, I, I, I agree with every, I agree with everything you're saying. I think yeah. that um, if, if we're going to kind of simplify this for educators, if we can simplify it for the teacher in the classroom, then it makes it easier for their teams, their their tier one climate and culture teams mm-hmm. to come up with a plan that we're all going to use. And so the things that I'm, that I'm hearing here are um, how do we, if we, if we see a behavior escalating, how do we not turn that into what traditional people think of as like a power struggle between an adult and a student? Um, and one of the ways that um, we've, that I've been trained to notice that in the past is, you know, you're asking a student for a response or to do something, to start something or stop something. And their response is a different subject. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, Hey, I'd like you to get started reading on, you know, chapter four. And their response is, did you just see what Mike threw <laughs> on the other side of the room? And that it's called content. They're changing the kind of the content of the conversation, but you're focused. And so then if the, if the 
kind of buy into that as the adult and you all of a sudden you start shifting gears and then the next response is how come you don't like me mr meyer yeah or the next response is you didn't treat jacob that way mm-hmm. yesterday when he wasn't it because you start to get into these what we always refer to as content these content areas so one of the ways to help address that from the very beginning as the adult is when you're addressing a behavior a need a skill something like that you stay on that subject and honor you you know that the student in that case might change the subject and try to pull you in different ways and that's where you start to take things personal and you can just keep staying focused on the subject let's talk about chapter four so what i'm looking for right now is um start reading the first paragraph i'll come back and check on in a minute let's see how that's going and then no matter no matter where they go from there you're going to stay on the topic of let's get started on on chapter four so that's you know that's that's that idea and that's that's the what amy was talking about trying to create those adult routines yes it's knowing that if if we can all practice that skill as an adult calmly staying on the subject that you were teaching to don't get pulled into the yeah what about and mm-hmm. who's not treating me fairly and what about yesterday um it actually helps the adults stay regulated because it gives you a tool by which you can just kind of keep your mind focused. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of the example that comes to mind for me. And I like this example that you were just saying in terms of, you know, students are um, getting off task. They're talking to one another while you're giving the lesson because it also provides the opportunity to think about this. And the, we, we mentioned this last time too, and this idea of a behavioral error. So one of the things that we can also do is just assume that they kind of got lost in their own conversation. You know, this isn't pointed. This isn't, I'm going to, you know, make the teacher mad or see how I can quote unquote manipulate her behavior or his behavior in this case. It's, you know, it's it's just, they're talking, right? Yeah. And that's what kids do. And we all do that at times, right? So yeah. um, this happened in my class at the university level just last week. And I do something very simple. Um which I'm sure you've probably heard others do, but if you can hear my voice, please raise your hand. Yeah. And, you know, when everyone around you raises your hand, or their hand rather, it's kind of like people sit up and, oh, oh yeah, we're supposed to be doing this right now. You know, so again, it's just that behavioral error. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily that something that we need to take personally, but I love what you said, Brian, about if I have a strategy, Mm -hmm. you know, because I, the same exact thing. Like when, when I hear these other people in my classroom having a conversation, I start to feel that like respondent reaction. My face is getting a little red, you know? Yeah. Um, so instead of me going down that path, I just say, Hey, you can hear my voice, raise your hand. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. I so was like listening that. I was yeah. listening to, um, uh, the presentation, Brian, that you and Amy, the two of you mm-hmm. gave at APBS. And I, that was one of the big takeaways that I had from that presentation that you gave is that some of these responses have to be practiced but ahead mm-hmm. of time that mm-hmm. you won't actually, they won't be a natural response unless you practice them when you are calm and you are regulated um, and everything is, is fine for you. You know, you kind of have to do a, your own little role play or something in mm-hmm. your mind about how it goes so that when you're confronted with that situation, you immediately know like you're what, what to do. Um, so all of these strategies are super great. I like that you're talking about some, like Kathleen was describing personal strategies. And then you also were talking about kind of systematizing or yes, those, you know, that what do we, we all, all agree? What are we all going to do in certain situations to, um, to help this process go better and to stay regulated ourselves? I like that there's 
that both yeah. are strategies. Amy, did you have something more? I, I was just going to say, you know, if if we all agree in our classroom or in our building that we're going to use X, Y, and Z as uh, regulating strategies, and we practice them all the time, then and, and we practice what we preach, meaning we're we're also practicing them as adults. That's also another time when an adult could say, "Let's all just stop for two minutes." Yeah. and practice our whatever strategy it is mm -hmm. and then we're going to come back to this conversation and it would mm -hmm. you know it would take two minutes or less but it would get everybody back on track it would be it would honor what Kathleen was saying which is mm -hmm. it could just be a like I got caught up in my conversation with my junior high friend right yeah it's it's not always about being naughty sometimes it's just right. about being a kid <laughs> and sometimes it's just about yes. re reading the room and saying I've got yeah. a People are just wiggly right now, and it looks like we need a break. So let's take that break. In order for an educator to make their best decision, right, to use the best tool in their toolbox, they, they're going to have to be settled down up in their head in order to make the best decision about which tool to use, right? So I like how Brian says that. Just have some that are automatic that you're, you just rely on all the time. And I think that we need to give teachers credit also for the fact that they have great instincts and they and they want what's best for kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we just need to remember that if we're in a good space as adults, we're more likely to make a good decision. We're more likely to rely on something that's helpful as opposed to um, escalating the situation. So, Amy, to me, that's that's the I, I think the spirit behind having a you and I called it a crisis support routine, mm. which was a, a routine for adults. The, the the least amount of steps possible, the least amount of words possible, but it's a routine that you'll repeat and you'll continue to use to create a sense of safety and to be with the student until they are able to show signs of regulation again. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, because we've talked about this a lot, Amy, I think the having a routine like that for the adult, practicing the routine and using the routine is its own method of keeping the adult calm. Mm -hmm. I know what's going to happen if this behavior escalates. I know what I'll be doing during yes. that time because I've because yes. I've practiced it, and that is a way to maintain our own pulse and to keep track of our anxiety. Um, it's the unknown, I think, that is what really throws educators. You're not sure how serious the situation is going to get, um, or I haven't seen this before, and that's that's what can really um, be challenging. Can you help me? like what's an example of that um like the 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 things that you would say in that the crisis support is you would you call it say it again crisis we we call it a crisis support routine well that was routine. our our fifth mm -hmm. or tenth and so what would be <laughs> so that, that's, that's yeah. after the three or that's part of the three after. kind of so that so that after. to me that's after so you you're using your your response strategies that the school has installed among its teachers. This is what we do when there's inappropriate behavior. I've tried the X amount. Yeah. And now I'm going to be using um, a routine that we will use when a student is dysregulated. And we had some rules um, in my school. You could not provide any consequences during that phase. Uh -huh. So in a, in a, we, I was in a residential school and in our school, there might be in the token economy there might be consequences and the students in, in demonstrating some inappropriate behavior you provide a consequence then the behavior increases and you provide another consequence the behavior yeah. increases again you provide a third consequence well 
that's the point where we say, and we're done because now it doesn't matter what the consequences are. We need to support the student in, in um, a different way here. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think about that same way in, in public education that we've tried several things. Those aren't working. Now let me look at what we called a, um, a what do we call it? A crisis support routine. <laughs> We know what it is. Yeah, it's a crisis support routine. Yeah. <laughs> I believe yes. that was the term. <laughs> we had so many. We had so many versions of it. I think that's where we landed. Yeah. So, um, well, getting it to the idea of regulate, relate, and reason. So, I think the examples were um, come up with a um, either a nonverbal prompt. So, the first step is to provide a regulation um, component. So, it could be a a, a praise statement. Mm -hmm. could be um, a nonverbal prompt, but it's going to be something simple. So if it's a praise statement, it's, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're able to stay in your seat at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're going to keep something. it simple. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Then the second step is going to be an empathy statement mm -hmm. or a concern statement. Mm -hmm. it, 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 looks, it looks to me like you're frustrated. And then the third step is a simple instruction, which is, I'd like you to just take a deep breath like we've practiced before. Mm -hmm. And then repeat and repeat and repeat. And we've been in that, I've had examples where we repeat that for a long time, you know, in a residential setting, it could be hours sometime. Sure. Um, and you have to, don't just be, don't be a robot. You have to Testing as you're as you're providing those simple steps. Is this too much talking? Because we talk about that a lot. Is the instruction? Am I just being passive aggressive in my instruction? <laughs> a better choice right now would be for you to listen to what I have to say. Okay, that's yeah. that's not right. helpful. Right. No. Yeah. No. Right. But those that's what we have thought about when we came up with that that idea of a routine of, of teaching the adults. And if the like adults that. can practice those sort of two or three steps mm -hmm. and use mm -hmm. that regularly, whether the student is um, disengaged and that's their escalated behavior or they are being you know they're being physical around the space the same routine should be able to work and your adults can practice it and that will give them some confidence on what to do that, so just, um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that regulate uh, relate and reason can't you know comes from Bruce Perry's research around you who've experienced trauma and I, I mm -hmm. just wanted to also point out when Brian mentioned that about the disengagement phase, I think that when we all understand what a fight, flight, and freeze response can look like in, in an educational setting, we realize that disengagement um, often is a flight behavior. It's not, it's not necessarily, I just don't like you and I don't like this subject, it's, or I just don't care about school, right? It's really more about their response to whatever the stimulus was. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to throw in that credit for Bruce Perry. We didn't come up with regulate, relate, and reason. Because I, I, it, it kind of ties in with what I wanted to ask was, does it always look like volatile behavior? Or is there always a big explosion when something's escalated? And because it sounds like what you're saying, it's not always, it doesn't always look like that. And so what about, does it look different if this is a pattern of behavior for a student versus just like you said, like, I've never seen this from this kiddo before, you know, what is that? And whether I, it's, it's an outward, like big, yeah. big feeling, or if it's like and really inside, mm -hmm. you know, I remember being in a classroom years and years ago and I was subbing 
and we were all in small groups. And I, this teacher all of a sudden said room clear. And I'm like, first of all, I don't really know what that is. <laughs> Second of all, what just what, happened? What happened? What just I happened? didn't hear it. Yeah. And so I just, cause there certainly wasn't a volatile issue. Mm -hmm. So I was very confused. Yeah. And there's certainly different avenues, right? There's certainly different strategies we're going to take or use depending on whether or not you've got a student that's just shutting down yeah, versus right. a student that is engaging in, in dangerous or potentially harmful behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and I, what, when you were talking about crisis a moment ago, one of the things I just wanted to interject is um, going back to what Brian was saying about dysregulation, you know, a student that's in crisis, it, that's not a teaching moment. Right, that's not a time for us to try to teach a new skill or right. remind them why we do these. Um, this is a time about it's about bringing down the level of escalation. It's about keeping everyone safe mm -hmm. um, and really trying to diffuse the situation. But I also like what you were saying, Brian, about about having that rule of three because regardless of if it's a big externalizing yeah. challenge or if it's just a student who shut down. If you're saying, okay, I've presented three different, you know, opportunities for the student to respond or three different corrective kind of actions and they're not responding, that's just my cue. That's yeah. what I'm going to assume that I need to go to this place where this isn't a teaching moment. This is about shifting gears. This is about helping the student regulate it. Yeah. And I, it, and it, I, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. It, it, it helps. It kind of protects the adult from themselves too, because our natural response is to keep upping and to be getting frustrated. And actually I've always, when I was in those same situations using this, this crisis support routine, it felt like you kind of downshifted a little bit, honestly, because it kind of puts you in a mode where I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna think about consequences. I'm not gonna think about teaching at this moment. I'm gonna be present and I'm just gonna to try to figure out is a simple instruction what they need? Is it an empathy statement or is it silence? And I'm gonna just gonna cycle through those, trying to pay attention to the, physiological response of the student, uh, make sure we're safe. And that's that's the only thing I'm gonna use during this time. And it, and it means it's a little bit of a waiting game at that point, mm -hmm. um, but it prevents damage from being done. It prevents me from becoming dysregulated as an adult. You don't say things like you're gonna, you know, you're gonna miss free time after lunch for the rest of the week if you don't X, Y, or Z, um, which we all, which adults adults tend to do. Definitely. And yeah, do you think it also so prevents that damage from, from, from the relationship as well? Yeah. Like, yeah. Makes it less personal. Yeah. That's, Kathleen, yeah. that's exactly what I was going to say. All that has to be built on the foundation of a relationship. You know, all, all of this work, I think, has to be built on the foundation of a relationship with the students. Students, they, students know when we kind of don't like them, right? Or, I mean, that happens, right? We're human, you know? I mean, but sometimes it comes out sideways and I, I think we have to be aware of that yeah. and and really work hard on the relationship piece. And sometimes I think we just get overwhelmed in our systems and we we overlook the importance of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you have a kid who's escalating and you're and you have a relationship with them, the likelihood is you're going to have an easier time de-escalating them right getting them to you're going to know you're going to be more likely to know what's going to de-escalate them you're going to be more likely to recognize what their signals are and you're going to be more likely to know where it's coming from mm -hmm. so i think we have to I, I i know it's a weird thing to have to talk about all the time but i think the relationship piece has to has to be there all the time 
good point. One of the questions you asked was, what about with students who have repeated behavior yes, versus right. this is a new behavior for? Well, there, there's, a, there's teaching opportunities that we don't take advantage of if we know that a student, um, when we know there's a student who's gonna be engaging in the same behavior. What, what comes to mind is if you have a student who is dysregulated mm -hmm. and you say, hey, how about you take three deep breaths? And it's not a skill that they practice. Mm. Well, you might find that that escalates the behavior. Don't tell me to calm down. I'm not, what do you mean take three deep breaths? No one in the and history of the world has ever calmed down when they were told to calm down. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Next time you and your spouse are having an argument, say, take three deep breaths and see what happens. Like, you take them. How about, yeah. how about you, you take them? <laughs> Exactly. Well, so what we what we've learned though is, but there but there are skills, there are routines yes. you can practice yeah. to to regulate your right. your pulse to to address your breathing. So the lesson is, if we have a student that is is prone to being in this situation, we then have to be practicing the regulation routines at neutral times. It's a skill set, no different than I'm, I struggled on a math test. Okay, well, so now let's practice the skills after that so then when we retest we're ready to go um so if it is a if it is a three deep breath or a square breathing or you know grab the ground with your toes and hold that for three seconds that's a thing amy don't that's give me that that's not a thing brian you made me do that i'm pretty sure you made me squeeze the ground with your toes you maybe do that hard well done brian we were in a trust circle she made me reveal my feelings uh -huh, i believe you i believe you grabbed the yeah. ground with my toes i wish people would see my face right now <laughs> <laughs> anyway i think that, that first off that could be an amazing routine and let's say it is yeah pra practice it then at neutral time so three times today we're going to practice it we're going to practice it tomorrow it makes it more likely than when you are prompting it at at the beginning yeah. of that um uh escalated behavior that it actually might be able to be used and that's the piece that i think we also forget to do a lot as educators you know i was thinking i'm not sure how this fits so maybe maybe you'll cut it out but i, I, was, <laughs> I was thinking that you know um sometimes when a student is misbehaving um and we think the function of their behavior is to get our attention sometimes i think our response is to make sure we don't give them any attention Mm. Right, like so. Um, oh, to ignore it mm. if it's happening. Right, like mm -hmm. to do well. If you want my attention and you're going to act out to get my attention, I'm just going to automatically not give you any attention. Yeah, and it'll escalate. Mm -hmm. Kathleen, I'm sure there are better words for that, but you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, so, you're, yeah, you're talking about um, planned ignoring. I think that's and what I'm talking about. I think that um, yeah, but I, I, but I love that you're bringing that up because one of the things that I teach my students all the time is. There's a difference between ignoring a behavior and ignoring a person. Mm. Oh. Tell me about that. That's say. That's do, tell me more. So you can redirect. You can still acknowledge that you know a student is there and present and human without having a conversation about their inappropriate behavior. You know. Uh -huh. So um, I, I, if you if we have time, I'll give a super quick yeah, example. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, about, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking about little kid. Okay little kid that I used to work with, he loved to talk about robots. He loved talking to robot voice. And, you know, I'm, so I'm, they're supposed to be working independently. He walks up to me at the front of the class and he says, have you found my telecommunicator? You know, and I yeah. say, 
oh, you know what? What are you supposed to be doing right now? And I walk over with him to his class, to his desk and I say, show me, you know, can you do number one? And I'll be right back. And I'm going to look and see if you got it right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually giving him lots of attention at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. we're not addressing the telecommunicator at all. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. Um, and I'm getting him right back on track. And then 30 seconds later, lo and behold, I go over. He is, in fact, working on the first problem. And then I can provide some additional um, reinforcement and or attention for being on task. Mm -hmm. so, and find his telecommunicator, I hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're giving him the attention that he's telling you he needs. Yeah. yeah. You're just yeah. doing it in a way that's not reinforcing the bad behavior. Right. Or the unwanted behavior, right? So I didn't say, you know, you're not supposed to be saying that right now. We only talk about that during recess. Why are you doing that? You know, this is why you need to be. No, it's just. <laughs> you know, like redirect, go yeah. right back to what we're supposed to be doing. For me, um, sometimes with older students or my own kiddo, sometimes it's a reminder to me. I'll just say, I can see you really need my attention right now. So just, okay, hold on. And I want to give you that attention. Um, and just acknowledging it helps remind me like what the function, what's going on here? What's yeah. the function? Um, super helpful as I, I think for me to kind of reg self-regulate and say, okay, I know what's happening here. I'm gonna actually say it out loud. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is such a great example of how, um, I'm not just saying this because Kathleen's on here, but we all need to have, we all need to have function in the back of our head all the time, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it always needs to be part of the equation. Even if we're talking about kids who have experienced trauma, we still have to have function as part of the equation. Yeah. I also really wanna acknowledge something too that, um, we've spoken about before as we're as we've been talking about this particular topic is that we have to acknowledge we would be remiss as people in this podcast episode to not acknowledge the fact that there are some really big behaviors that teachers are having to to come across in their in their classrooms right now that behavior is it's been difficult, I think, for us to really pinpoint if the behaviors are actually more escalated or if us as adults have experienced some things also. And so our patients and ability to respond calmly and from our own regulated place are <laughs> is uh, also contributing to the fact that mm -hmm. things are escalating within classrooms. But we need to acknowledge that there are some things that are happening and it's big things that are happening yeah. in classrooms. And um and so part of me wants to ask, I'm worried about time, but you know, why? So part of me wants to ask, like, what, what do you do? Like, you've got this crisis support routine, but what do you do? Like when students are just, or the behavior that you're experiencing in that moment is, is incredibly intense. And then what happens after the fact? How do you even yeah. come back from something that has really been a, a challenge for everyone involved how do you recover mm -hmm. from an experience like that mm -hmm. and try and restore any relationship that might have been harmed you know i i want to uh, i i'm glad that you brought up the point about the intensity of behaviors you know that that that's increasing um more and more catches a lot of the headlines and uh there's a lot of traumas that take place um in schools i think the when we're talking about the crisis support routine, you know, the, the, the first step of um, provide an empathy statement, the second step of um, maybe provide a simple instruction, that that can still be the same steps you use in the face of intense behavior. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, you, you, you seem really angry right now. I'd like for you to put your hands at your side. Yeah. And if that's a, um, a behavior, if the student's engaging in a, I'm throwing a chair behavior, or if they're just standing and they're clenching their fists and they're shaking because they're mad and they don't know what to do with it. Um, you want to come up with a routine for adults. They're gonna, they're gonna, that's what you have to practice that. And that's what's gonna come to their minds. Now there's also a whole school safety routine. Yes. Of right. when do we, when do we lock our doors? And, and right, we know, shouldn't forget about that. Yeah. Yes, and that's a, that's a, um, as important, especially for super intense situations. But when you're face to face with escalated behavior, an empathy statement and a simple firm instruction. And sometimes it's just a simple firm instruction. It might, might be all you have the capacity for, but you need yeah. to be very clear as an adult. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And you're going to stay on that mantra. Um, and that's not to, you know, that, that I don't, I don't want to dishonor all of the, the real challenging work we have as educators, but um, without at least something like, a, like that type of tool, yeah. then I think everybody's going to do their own thing. And mm -hmm. you're going to sort of scramble for what should I do? But you're really just trying to buy time there to get more adults present. And oftentimes that's, that's what you're doing. So you're gonna keep it simple, firm, and I'm, I'm trying to, we're trying to get other adults present so other people can come in and help in this situation too. Yeah. So what is it, oh, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say that second part of your question was like, how do you recover from that? And I, I think there's a couple, couple of things come to mind. So I think, especially when a student's removed from the setting and then brought goes back into the setting, I think it's right. really important that there's a system for how you do that. So mm -hmm. instead of just sending the kid back from the office to the classroom, I think the kid probably needs escorted. The, 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 another adult needs to come in the room and help make sure the adults regulated. And I think mm -hmm. we need to have a routine that we say things like, hey, I'm glad you're back. We're starting on page six. Like, I think we need to know what to say because that's probably not what we feel like saying. Yes. And so I think we have to have routines and procedures around what re-entry looks like. And then sure. Ryan and I've talked too about how, you know, this whole piece about self-reflection, it would be great if there was a systematic way in our building or our district that we all answered the same set of reflection questions right. after an escalation so that we do, we do help everyone recognize that uh, self-awareness is a skill we have to have as adults. And so the, maybe there's a set of questions like, what was my, what was my mood when this happened? What, what could I have done or said differently? Just some questions that help adults recognize this. It's not always the youth, right? That solely are, that. Yeah. It's not solely the youth. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm not trying to under, under play how hard it is to be in a classroom yeah. at all. I'm just saying, right. I think there's really, there's a lot of room to talk about kid behavior, but we need to make sure there's room to talk about our behavior so that we can learn about how we're interacting and how our interactions impact kids. I've been in schools where it, those questions are asked of students. Yes, uh, yes. Sure. Yeah, so I love that you're talking about the adults asking themselves those same questions and being able mm -hmm. to you know, repair, try to repair that relationship, even sharing between the student and the teachers, like, this is what was going on for me. This is what would have helped if you had done this or said this, um, you know, repairing that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Something, if, if we have a decision rule for when is this, when do we presume a student's dysregulated, you can use a similar decision rule for maybe we're 
ready to begin this uh, recovery phase. Mm -hmm. So um, again, in my school, it was, we just flipped it. It was the student has followed three prompts in a row. Mm -hmm. And then in our, in our mind, we're thinking, okay, so um, I'm at a spot where they seem to be able to follow an instruction. Mm -hmm. And now my decision usually is, can I give them some more space right now? Should I get them engaged in a task? that'll help them continue to maintain the regulation. I'm not, this is not the time to jump in to say, what did you learn from your behavior? Usually, depending on the, the duration and intensity. Um, but, it, but it gives you that, that, you have to give the adult the information. On, I don't want to continue with my crisis support routine. Hmm. But the student is like, I'm, I got it. I'm back. I'm, I'm, here. I'm ready to go. Because then it feels like badgering at that yeah. point too. Yeah. And we have to, be mind, we have to be mindful of that as well. So that's, so that's one way is you, you, you make that decision rule. Um, and Amy, your point about how we welcome the student back in the classroom, like I'm, I'm a big fan of the idea of amends, um, of a student owning their role. Um, and I'm a big fan of adults saying, okay, when a student, if a student, let's say it's an apology that's made or, there's, or there is a restorative circle and there is gonna be a decision that's made. The adult job I always feel like is, is to accept the amend, like be, be the bigger person, regardless of what it was, and to honor and to say thank you, and I'll meet you back right at start again, that, that's okay. Um, you know, the, the, the thing we wanna be mindful of, especially when there's repeated scenarios, is where a student engages in the process of making an apology or something that, that was um, age appropriate or contextually appropriate, and the staff don't accept that. And by body language or verbally. Um, and now we're in a whole different, we're holding back into a whole different situation. So you can, you can practice that reintegration that Amy just talked about. Mm -hmm. And as a teacher, I want you to say, hey, great to see you. Jump back in. This is where we are academically. And you, just, and you, and you, and you go about that. And you're going to say, we're going to save the time for the mm -hmm. follow-up conversation until it's really neutral. Yes. Yeah. I like that. I like and that. I just want to add, you're going to save it also until you've had the opportunity to have some positive interactions around the student doing those desired behaviors that we actually want to see. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's it's not about walking the classroom and then we start trying to hash this out. It's get right. this back right. into the routine, have some opportunities to reinforce um, those those behaviors that we want to see more of. And then once the student is completely regulated again, that's when we might consider having that conversation about what did we learn? <laughs> I mean, that's, such a, that's such a good example of the relate piece of those three R's, right? So they've gotten regulated. Now they come back in and we've got to connect with them. We have to make some sort of, we have to do some sort of relationship building connection with them. And by doing what you just said, I think that's a good example of showing how you're building a relationship as well. I've always been interested too, when students are able to tell you know, another adult at some point when they're being asked, well, what happened? Tell me more what, what was happening. And they'll say, I didn't understand the math. I got so far. I didn't understand the math. I raised my hand and I never got called on. And teachers are somewhat surprised when you can go back and that quickly a student can tell you what was happening for them. And a teacher has a better understanding at that point, like, oh, this was about, you know, not being able to access the academic content and getting this. I mean, I think it's so important right. to help build that relationship. 
all of these strategies that you guys have shared are super helpful. And I think too, that um, they give, they give me anyway, and hopefully they give the people that are listening some ideas of what, what they can practice, some of the language that they can use um, and the things that they can practice in those neutral times, like you were saying, so that when things go sideways on them, they actually have some language that they can bring to the surface and um, and use as a way to de-escalate things rather than engage in that process of the back and forth. And like Kathleen said, like picking up the rope, you know, that if there's a power struggle that you don't, you have the choice to just not pick it up. And, um, and that all of the strategies that you guys have shared are really excellent examples of ways that you don't have to pick it up and you can actually help to diminish that struggle in the first place. So thanks so much for sharing all of the things that you know so much about. Can I just put in a plug here because uh, Brian and Amy did such a great job of helping us write the de-escalation. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I just want to throw in that if you if you read the, the new brief that we have about strategies for de-escalating student behavior in the classroom, you will actually see some examples of the types of routines that Brian and Amy mm -hmm. uh, were discussing. So it might be helpful to have that language that you actually can, can see what you might say specifically. That's awesome. Thanks so much for that. Excellent. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank, Thank you. Thank you guys for hosting us. Bye, everybody. Bye.